We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Stop Talk Radio, the world for people who think. Hello, listeners. Yes, indeed, you're listening to Soft Talk Radio. My name is Neil Bradley. Stepping in for Joe Quinn this week is Scott Ogren, a.k.a. Mr. Scott. Hi there. He's our SoftNet webmaster and chief audio engineer for Soft Talk Radio. <laughs> also on our panel of experts this week, we have Michael Franzel and Jason Martin. Hey, what's up? Hello. Both of whom are software developers. Welcome, gentlemen. This week... Steve Jobs, Apple Revolution, and the Fall of Man. We're discussing Apple. That's the company, not the fruit. And we're going to be looking at, more generally, the state of information technology today and trying to answer the question, is it liberating or imprisoning humanity? If you've got any comments or questions for us, you can call in. The show number is on the uh, Blog Talk Radio page, 718 508 9499, or you can join in our live discussion in the chat room on the show page. So to give listeners some background to today's show, a thread recently opened up on our forum concerning a documentary entitled Gurdjieff and Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs, of course, is the now-deceased founder of Apple. George Gurdjieff was an influential spiritual teacher in the first half of the 20th century. He taught that most humans live their lives in a state of hypnotic waking sleep, but that it's possible to transcend to a higher state of consciousness and achieve full human potential. This discipline was known as the fourth way, although he also describes it as esoteric Christianity. Now, what, you may be wondering, does any of that have to do with a computer company? Well, the YouTube video blurb for this Gurdjieff and Steve Jobs documentary claims that Apple Incorporated's products can generally be understood as focusing, amplifying, and facilitating tools for the growth and expansion of emotional brain capacity. It goes on. The products marketed by Steve Jobs embody a new important way, essential for the survival of human life. That's a pretty bold set of claims. So what do you think? Steve Jobs? Apple products? I think it's kind of humorous that it's the exact reverse, because I think when Gurdjieff was talking about man as a machine, he... If he had been talking today, he would have been mentioning the people who sit out for like three days on the sidewalk to buy iPods. <laughs> I mean, actually, it was worse than that because now with the release of the iPhone 5S, uh, what was making the news was, uh, of course, there were the people who were standing in line for, you know, I think this time it was two days, to be fair, yeah. uh, which is still ridiculous. But uh, now they made a big stink about the fact that, and rightly so, that uh, many people were actually paying someone else to wait in line for them. Wow. Uh, so to hold their place. Yeah. So, yeah. Because they were afraid there wouldn't be enough iPhone 5s to go around? Well, I guess they, they had to go to work to, to pay the exorbitant uh, fee to yeah. actually have one. So they, It's also problem that they, 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 the guy too, so. that they're mentioning Gurdjieff, uh, 
to market Apple's products because, of course, he's deceased and has no say in this. So it would be interesting to hear what he would have to say about that. I think actually he did say a lot of stuff on two particular ideas. One, of course, was objective art in which he trashes what most people consider art and therefore by you know extension pretty much does trash what Steve Jobs and all these, these people say about it. Um, but uh, something really big that uh, Gurdjieff and most people inside of esoteric like studies are against is the concept of identification. That is that you know you should not be identifying with things, especially not a, a piece of, of computer hardware, but the entire Apple advertising campaign is about basically creating the identity uh, as a Mac user, and all of their products are named like iMac, iLife, iMovie, iPod, iCalendar, I, all this, all of this stuff. And Apple, for, for a number of years, has built their entire advertising campaign on basically exploiting, quote-unquote, the emotions of people, exploiting their, their lack of identity, their confusion, and giving them an identity as a Mac user. They're trapped into this sort of like closed world where everything is sort of shiny and smooth and sane and Apple does everything for you. I mean, Apple is kind of like the ultimate big brother kind of corporation. It is the most closed corporation. It is the most totalitarian corporation of all the computer ones. I mean, it's, it's worse than IBM. It's worse than Intel in, in that particular way. So it's kind of interesting that this guy, who, who, who appears to me, just my opinion, to be your typical shyster, charlatan, fourth-way guy, just my opinion, of course, um, <clears throat> because what you didn't generally see is those types of people, they, they don't understand what they're taking over. They're your typical kind of like psychopathic person who moves into an ideology and then starts to invert basically everything that was, you know, uh, that made that ideology what it is. And this is kind of basically an example of that. He's basically inverted everything from fourth way esoteric teachings. And indeed, I mean, iPhone, iPad, it gives a whole new meaning to many eyes. Yeah. You know, even, <clears throat> even I life, I life. Yeah. Well, you can buy a life from Apple. Yeah. It's, it's the, the, uh, it's the Apple life. The the software package I, I don't I don't use Mac so I'm not entirely sure but well uh, I, in all fairness I have a Mac I have a Mac Mini I have used it and and I've used iMovie and I've used iCalendar or whatever it is you know a little bit but I mean <laughs> nothing was good enough to keep me there <laughs> so I'm, you have tasted of the forbidden fruit I've tasted of the forbidden fruit and kind of spit it out <laughs> I was like well, wow just oh. to, to give an idea what what this uh, video is talking about that we just mentioned. Can I can I quote the Go yeah, for it. sentence? All right. So it says, Apple's disruptive products make us generally smarter and more productive. As with paper and pen, intelligence of the material attracts the intelligence of the user. These products are intelligence amplifiers. They're especially useful for second brain functions such as seeing and hearing. They excel at imaging, which is essential for all the brains, but is particularly valuable for second brain function, learning and play. For example, games, music, and art. And here again, we have this focus on art. So that is one of the reasons why Apple is, is very prevalent in, among you know, artists, graphic artists, music artists, etc. Well, well, we should like really be honest about how prevalent Apple is, because like from the way that it's presented, you would think that these guys are like everywhere. And they're everywhere in the media because they really shell out a lot of money for that, and they have a very, very vocal like user base that we call the MacBorg. But you're talking about in the U.S., right? They're probably about number three. 
all right, from all the computer manufacturers. I think HP and, and Dell or maybe something like that. In the world, they're not even on the list. Actually, yeah, I have, I have the figures here uh, for fiscal year 2012 uh, in the global PC market share by units sold. Uh, HP is number one with 16%. Lenovo is number two. Uh, Dell, number three. Acer, number four. Asus, number five. Uh, Apple doesn't even make the list. That's for, that's for PCs. Yeah, so you're just talking no, about... No like, smartphones or tablets or anything. Yeah, so I mean, even in, in the cell phone market, like the pure cell phone market, okay, Apple is not that big. In the smartphone market, if you, if you select down to the smartphone market, just the smartphones, Apple is a big player. They're right under Samsung, right? And they... they uh, they're, well, for, for Q3 of 2013, uh, strategy analytics says that uh, Samsung sold 120 million smartphones... Apple sold 30 million. Well, I and mean, this is for, by the way, um, that's the latest numbers, right? This, that's for Q3 of this year. Right. And, okay. Um, just so, in case any of our listeners are, you know, if steam is shooting out of your ears, th- this data actually came from Pro Mac websites. So, <laughs> yeah, Pro Mac websites. You know, I think at the end of the, I think it was at the end of 2012 or something like that. Like Apple was right under Samsung. Like I think Apple had sold like 93 million or something. I don't remember the exact numbers, please. But. Um, Samsung had like sold altogether almost like 200 million or something like that. It was huge. It was just this huge number. So like the disparity between first and second place in that situation mm. was very large. So I mean, Apple as a general rule has about between, depending on how you stack the situation and what markets you look at and what markets you put together, they might have between six and 12 percent of the market. So I mean, they're super minority. Just a, a super minority. They're not really big. PCs are the, the biggest thing. They're the number hmm. one sellers in every kind of department. And this whole thing about Apple makes more money than anybody combined. Only when you put them in the right kind of light and look at them from the right kind of direction. I mean, Samsung makes everything. It makes vacuum cleaner. I think we have a Samsung vacuum cleaner. You know, I mean, it's like this company is like the little – I don't even know how but to Sam, classify that's, them. Sometimes. That's actually – it's it's true because in, in the article where I got this information about uh, the – smartphone sales, uh, one of the things they noted was, well, yeah, okay, Samsung has sold four times as many smartphones, which in and of itself is, is not a good thing. We'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, the, yeah. well, we'll get there. Hang on a second. <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, Samsung sold four times as many at Apple in the, the third quarter of this year, right? But then they kind of go on to say, well, but you see the the margins or the profit or what, you know, all that financial nonsense. Basically, <laughs> what it comes down to is that Apple makes an obscene amount of money per product sold, whereas Samsung doesn't because, you know, because Apple has positioned itself in, as this, this, you know, they're like the BMW of computing. You right. Know, that's, that's, I hear that one a lot. That's fun. Except that they're, they're really kind of basically purchase all their hardware from pretty much the same company that almost everyone else does. So, like, I don't know how they justify the high-end nature of their well, equipment. That, that's something I want to get to in a bit, the, the, the claims. I mean, Apple is the best at this and the best at that. All the claims are false, period. Well, we'll get there soon. I, I just want to, by, by way of general comment, I mean, the, the reason we picked up on this, I mean, this YouTube video, Gerds, you can see Steve Jobs, it, it's absurd to us, but nevertheless, it, I think it speaks to something that, that Apple has this, it, it's eulogized, and Steve Jobs is deified. I mean, he's, he's dead now. He's practically been risen to you know, the plane of the gods. Um, 
the, the Gurdjieff comparison is obviously a stretch, but that religious, you know, flavor, that, that sort of uh, has whipped up this blind belief that many people who do buy into Mac products seem to carry with them. Is that what's going yeah, on I, there? I actually, uh, regarding this video, it's called Gurdjieff and, and Steve Jobs, a documentary, uh, and it was made by a guy named uh, John Amaral, I believe his name is, and. Um, I, we should probably also um, indicate that uh, in the video, this guy claims all kinds of interesting things. I, we have a little clip here that we'll play for you in a second. Um, he said he, he apparently has his own software company now, and it has something to do with some kind of software or site about uh, teaching people to sing uh, with perfect pitch or something, and he he has this idea that uh, he, he, he makes the claim that uh, something like one in 10,000 people have, have perfect pitch when they sing. And so if people would use his glorious software product, then uh, it m- we might be able to get it to one in 100. And this would uh, revolutionize everything because music is kind of the solution to... It's almost like he claims that, me- that people being able to sing would sort of solve all of the world's problems. Problems. Now, I mean, you know, I like singing karaoke as much as the next guy, but I'm not so sure that that would do it. it can, he even goes so far as to say that, yes, it would become a per- being able to sing well would become a permanent part of our genetic code, and then everything would be fine. I mean, I'm, par- I'm paraphrasing a little, so, you know, don't... Uh, well, well uh, to, to, to get back to his question on this Steve Jobs thing, because it is very interesting. I mean, Steve Jobs is a classic kind of like cult leader, basically. I mean, that's what he is, you know? I mean, he's... A... Just, just before we go there, do let, we want let to play me, Let me play this clip because right. I, I, think, I think it will give the listeners a good idea of, of uh, where we're coming from and the reason why we're doing this show. So let me just uh, play this here for you. Consider products which show attentive craft, particularly the craft of making artful tools. We have seen the enemy... And it is us. Pogo by Walt Kelly. Apple's tools are both disruptive and reconciliatory. They are responses to what is needed. They have become available exactly when we need them to digest the energies of our accelerating environment, a need made more urgent by the threat of nuclear weapons. In particular, Gurdjieff says that we are atrophied in our second brain capacities of relationship. Second brain tools can be seen as antidotal. They enhance and facilitate relationship. The technologies invented by Steve Jobs and company can be seen, in his words, as bicycles for the mind. Tools particularly designed to replace popular but inefficient tools for second brain digestion and expression, which simultaneously disrupt the associated industrial institutions which market and deliver them. It's up to ourselves, Dushka Howarth, Gurdjieff's daughter. It is particularly important to note that the success of such inventions depends to a large part on the business survival of the companies producing them, in this case, Apple. To restate, no Apple, no insanely great aesthetically pleasing tool toys. While Apple is at the front of product development and selling The effect over time has been to drive up the quality of competitive products in the marketplace. 
If you're not using Apple products today, you are still receiving some benefits of those products in the competitive products you use. One effect of this innovation is that despite the vast wasteland that television has become, the upper level of college students today is better informed about what is going on in the world than any generation ever has been. (laughs) These are the children who will meet each other and the aliens. And the aliens. And the what? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, Jesus. That's so this, this, this guy, he's a, he's a former Apple employee, so he, he obviously has a, a, you know, there's a special place in his heart for, for Apple. And his brain, apparently. I, yeah. I guess so. Seriously, I think that's wiseacring to a whole other level. <coughs> I mean, college students today, I mean, they... they they don't have many of them don't have basic literacy down. Yeah. And what he thinks buying an iPhone's gonna Well on that topic, right, and this I found really surprising. What is the the Alan Thompson is his name, right? Who did who designed Raid? Was that his name? Not Alan Thompson. No, what was his you have this this guy's name. He did a speech for uh David Patterson. David Patterson. <clears throat> Patterson who who designed Raid. And he was talking about his computer science course, and this is the one thing that almost made me fall out of my seat. Um, the way that they've organized computer science courses now, of course, is like they have three weeks of total time to like teach somebody about computers. And he's actually fallen back to, because of that, teaching people computer science with cucumber and rails. And I almost fell out of my seat. These people, are they think that they know something about computers. They know how to program web pages. That's what has happened now. It's it's the most. So what he's saying is so ridiculous. Yeah, that's 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 not uh, restricted just to computer science. It's it's yeah. it's also like in the engineering fields, and it's you know everything is you know computer aided design and blah blah blah. No, they, universities don't, especially the fancier universities, they right. don't teach you the fundamentals and core right. concepts. They teach you. Things like cucumber and rails. I realize that us three realize how ridiculous what I just said was, right? But I, maybe to give people an example so that they understand what I mean by that, that is essentially like giving somebody a degree in painting when all they have done is use a paint by numbers. That is just functionally the equivalent. I mean, if you don't know anything about rails and cucumber and stuff like that, okay, cool, you don't. That is basically giving someone a degree in fine art, painting and illustration, after they've done one painting in a paint-by-numbers. That is basically what, <laughs> what I have just said in the equivalent of the computer science. So, I mean, this whole statement that the college people are educated, I mean, a computer science degree and a buck 25 will get you a cafe latte at Starbucks. I mean, that is the extent of it. It is really quite, it, it's irrelevant. If someone says to me that I have a computer science degree, I'll walk away just because I know that they're not even going to be worth talking to. I mean, it's a general rule. So you're going to say something about the kind of cult of personality right. that follows Steve Jobs. I mean, <clears throat> people who like show and read our stuff, they know that we always harp on this political ponderology stuff. And he talks about, you know, people who have these, these things called like spellbinders. You know, these people who have this really sort of charismatic, magnetic personality, and they have kind of like a reality distortion field around them so that when you talk to them, it's like, all of your reason has kind of been sucked out and they can convince you of anything. They can convince you that white is black. And when you hear people describe Steve Jobs, that's basically what they fundamentally describe. They describe a person who can basically take credit for inventing everything, which he did not, 
and he's just charismatic and so sure and so powerful and he just, you know, speaks that and that and this and and I mean he's a typical kind of spellbinder. He's a typical kind of like, you know, Jim Jones kind of cult leader type of person, you know, and, and, and the people who, who follow him around and think that he's the second coming of Jesus, they are they've they've drunk the Mac Kool Aid. And, I mean, there's nothing really more to say about it. It is very, very obvious when you look at him because here you have a guy who has no skill whatsoever in a computer, right? He can't program. He doesn't know any. I mean, in one interview, he didn't even know what Kerberos was. He didn't actually, want develop the software or the programming. He doesn't know anything about computers. He hired, people, he hired people to do that. He hired people to do that. He hired people to do that. He doesn't know anything about technology. All he knows is what? It looks nice, and that was his big thing. He wanted things to look nice, have a slick package, nice package, and always trying to push the packaging of it. That was Steve Jobs' innovation. He was good at it, hey? And the reason he was good at it is because he has a deep understanding of human psychology. Who else has those? Spellbinders. That's what, you know, these psychopathic individuals that they were talking about in Ponerology, those people, they have a deep understanding of normal human psychology, and they exploit it. And that's what Apple does. It's all of its advertising campaigns are geared towards exploiting people's psychology. Yeah, Steve Jobs was not a technician. <laughs> Actually, the Wikipedia entry about him says, uh, Steve Jobs was an American entrepreneur, marketer, and inventor. And the term inventor is only because he filed a few patents. But he but filed a few patents what other people created. What other people invented, exactly. Right. So he, he owned those patents only because someone else invented them. And I mean, he was, he was more of a failure than he was a success. You know, he, he actually failed quite a bit, but no one ever talks about that. They're always happy because he was, he was the first to market with the Apple One. Nobody else was really making that. And he got control of the Steve Wozniak character, who was a genius. I mean, stuff that you hear that Steve Wozniak did at a time when he was basically inventing stuff. That just, it just wasn't done. Nobody thought about it. I mean, he was hardcore. This guy was like a computing, electrical engineering god. Yeah, I mean, the, the first, I, I think it's the, 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 the first gizmos they ever made it was it was jobs and wozniak and and wozniak was the one who pretty well, much wozniak was the one who did it you know i mean because steve steve jobs when he was like 16 or something he glommed onto wozniak to exploit him basically to sell these blue boxes which were like freaking boxes for making free phone calls which was really popular back in the 70s and even into the 80s so basically he was he was a he was a criminal by by most standards I mean, he was basically making equipment to cheat the phone company out of money. I mean, so hey, whatever. That was that was something he did back then. And then Wozniak, I guess, you know, they started to see that there was this whole community of people who were basically hardware and computer hobbyists. Because when the microprocessor came out, I think it had been designed basically to make calculators, reprogrammable calculators, because the the company making them didn't want to have to create a completely new product every time somebody wanted a different type of calculator. So they made these programmable chips, and it was these guys, it was Wozniak and, and these, these computer hobbyists who looked at this and said, hey, wait a minute, we could do a little bit more with it, and they started to get together and form these groups. And, of course, Steve Jobs came in and said, oh, here's an easy way for me to make some money, basically. So he gets control of Wozniak, and they come out with the Apple One at that time, and, and, and he takes it and he sells it to the, the guy who had a computer store in Byte Magazine or something like that. I don't remember the specific history. And that was basically it. He was like the first to market. And because he was, you know, because he was the first one there and he saw, he did have the vision to see that he, well, not really, because he just wanted to make a buck in a certain sense. And he didn't really even realize what a tiger he had by the tail because you see how quickly he failed once other people came into the, the market and started innovating because 
he was pushing for more aesthetically pleasing stuff when the technology couldn't support it. I think it was like the Apple II or something, or maybe I can't remember that they shipped without a fan because they didn't like the noise. And you had to like lift it up in the air and like drop it to get the board to set back into place because the heat would cause it to like pop out and stuff. I mean, because he didn't really, he, he wasn't interested in, in the technology aspect of it. He wasn't interested in all this connecting the world and I'm doing all this stuff. He, he was trying to make a buck. And then he ended up with, you know, riding a really big horse and a bunch of other companies came in and said, no, this is how we do this. They organized themselves and then Apple just went and Steve Jobs was just pretty much shown for the fraud he was. Something that a lot of Mac users will will parrot is that their hardware, software is better, faster, more reliable, um, gives more options, more choice, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, are we saying that all of these claims are They're not false. true. They're all, They're all false. Every single one of these things. How do people get to the point? It, it, were, were they just lying? Yeah. If they make More the like. claim that this, this, iPod, this iPod runs on this, therefore it's faster. I mean, what? Yeah, the, the part where they say, therefore it's better. They usually sometimes tell they, the truth. They don't, they don't actually always say it's faster. For example, with the release of the, the latest iPhone, the big thing was that it uses this A7 processor. Now, as far as I could find, no one actually knows what's in the A7 processor because it's a close, it's a, you know, it's a more closely guarded secret than like the H-bomb was, right? Uh, so, first of all, they, they don't really like to publicize what's in their devices, but they make claims like, well, the new iPhone has a 64-bit processor and it has 2x the general registers. Now, I don't want to get like, meaningless. I don't want to get too complicated. But that's so nonsensical and meaningless that, like, it boggles the mind. But, but to the average person, they don't know. All they see is 2X. And they go, it's faster. I want one. Better. And they see, you know, it's, it's, it's the design. It's the, you know, and, and of course, it's also the uh, much higher cost. Right. Um, I mean, I remember back in, back in the days of the iBook, uh, of course, you know, everyone is always, there's a lot of tech sites, a lot of blogs and stuff where people are, are very anxious to get the latest iGizmo and, and, and basically tear it apart. They call it a teardown. And so uh, one of these sites, they did a teardown of an iBook. And one of the things you heard about the iBook was, and, and Max in general, was that the screens, the LCD screens, the colors, they're so vibrant. And the brightness and the contrast, it's so superior. And I mean, pe people parrot this stuff like, Non-stop, you know, I mean, well, I had to get it. I had to get this iBook because look how beautiful the screen is. Well, okay. So I read this teardown and basically what they revealed was that um, I think it used uh, uh, an LCD panel from, uh, at the time it was like Sharp or LG. And one of, there, there are like a hand, there are like two or three companies in the entire world that basically make LCD screens. And every manufacturer, including Apple, uses a screen from one of these manufacturers. Sometimes they get higher resolution ones. Generally speaking, it's all the same technology. There's nothing brand new and fancy. It's, you know, but whatever. In the case of this iBook, what the teardown revealed was a, was a model number. And if you look this model number up, what you found out was that it was a 7-bit, uh, you know, it's, it's RGB, you know, so it's 7 bits per pixel, like 7 bits for red, 7 bits for green, 7 bits for blue. Normal high-color displays are 8 bits. Now, you don't really have to understand what any of that means. All you have to know is that if you have one of these seven-bit displays, basically it is not physically capable of reproducing the same number of colors that an eight-bit screen does. 
And so this was essentially, you know, there were there were inexpensive laptops from, you know, Acer, Dell, who had, you know, a bunch of manufacturers that used not, you know, not only the same screen, but better screens that cost far less money. And so essentially what they often do, and this is not limited to LCD panels, is they take a component that is um, either the same or even inferior and they use their software and they, and they, well, you know, let's, let's jack. I mean, you can take any computer and you can jack up the, 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 the you know, like the vibrancy of the colors. You know, you can make yeah. the color oversaturated. You can do that in software. There's a couple different ways you can do it. And they essentially do this and then they say, look how bright and vibrant it is. And what they're actually doing is they're selling you a computer with substandard parts and convincing you that they're great and right. that they're better. And you believe it. And because you believe it, you 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 have to justify your purchase not just to yourself but to everybody else. I yeah, mean, you start defending. It. Color experience is is very subjective, right? And it, it has a lot to do with your eyes and and this and has a lot to do with adjacent colors. And basically, what happens is when the Apple comes out, I've I've, I've seen Apples. I didn't see that much of an impressive color thing. I mean, they they always harp on this whole art stuff, and and I went to art school, and I've. When I was in art school, we worked on it was the G4 was out at this time or something like that, and I wasn't impressed with the color, and I still had problems with it because the color, like Scotty and I were talking, color is kind of is very dependent on the printer as much as it is anything else. Like if your printer is shite and your printer doesn't doesn't print color well, you know, I mean, the screen ain't got nothing to do with any of this stuff. So, I mean, that being a selling point to me is just kind of like a joke because they have picked like the most subjective aspect to it. I mean, you can – everybody experiences color different. You can't have two people in the room and bring them and say, look at the colors on the screen, and they will still both have a different subjective experience. I mean, it's It's, well, ridiculous. it's especially ridiculous because there are standardized tests. There are – you know, if, you, if you're shopping for a monitor, you can go, you can go crazy, <clears throat> as I sometimes do. Uh, and you can look at all the specs and you can, you know, they have, there are standardized tests for the different color of light emitted. They have all these fancy instruments they use to measure. And so there is kind of a more objective test of color. But the problem is that uh, no two people really ever experience color in the same way. I mean, we all have different eyeballs and we all have different, you know, so what looks good to one person is not going to look good to another person. And it, it is really a very subjective thing. Mm -hmm. The only exception I can think of is uh, supposedly um, back in the, the early days of publishing, I think someone mentioned on our forum in our Gurdjieff and Steve Jobs documentary, The Thread, where, where someone first posted this video, I think someone mentioned that in the early days of uh, basically like desktop publishing and such, that uh, people liked it a lot because uh, you know the color you saw on the screen. They did very good matching between between the computer and the printer, right. so that there was there was a lot of tweaking they did, so that right. whatever color you saw on the screen when it was printed, you'd see the exact same thing. Right, like 20 years ago, 20 yeah. years ago. The thing is, some of these things were actually true when Apple first came out because they were really they were ahead of the game, and that that kind of that lead was really quickly caught up and even surpassed. But because people are really sort of affect-oriented, meaning they're very emotional thinkers, and once they start to believe something emotionally, they will continue to do so regardless of any evidence. So, And Apple has kind of exploited that to maintain a, a small but very dedicated user base that constantly keeps giving them extremely large amounts of money. But when Apple says that it has superior, it's disingenuous. 
Apple pretty much ships with just about the same hardware that anyone else has access to because they buy it from the same company that everyone else goes to. And that's a company in China called Foxconn, which is one of the evilest corporations um, manufacturing computers, slave labor. It's basically a slave labor camp, you know, working, I mean, really 76 hours a week, working 11 days straight. It's got a huge suicide rate. And, of course, people say, well, it's not as high as all the 50 states in the U.S. or something like that. And it's like, yeah, it's one company. And, you know, and this is one of the few companies that has to install nets to prevent people from killing themselves by jumping off the building. So it's got nets you know, surrounding it to prevent people from committing suicide, probably trying to escape from their slave labor camp. So, I mean, that's disingenuous. Their hardware is not any – they don't really – I mean, sometimes maybe they get something – that is kind of like secret, like Scotty talking about this A7 processor. But the majority of stuff that they ship on is the same stuff that you could get anywhere else in any other computer. You probably wouldn't because it's substandard because Foxconn doesn't necessarily make good stuff. And yet their stuff is priced at the higher end. Yeah. Yeah, basically. I mean, like, you can – you basically you should – for the same or less hardware, basically just double the price and then they will sell it. For me, it seems when you strip that away that – Everything that remains is a fancy user interface and the name Apple, right? Yeah, basically. I mean, it's not really a fancy user interface. I mean, it looks to me like it's not so fancy, right? I mean, it's just a Windows manager. And that's really all it is because uh, when they went from Mac OS 9 to the switch to OS X, OS 10, the switch basically, they took Unix, which is an open source operating system, which we're going to get to in, in a few minutes, and we're going to talk about Dennis Ritchie, who was behind Unix and the C language and all that stuff. They basically, Mac OS X is Unix gone retarded, so Apple doesn't even make an operating system anymore, right? So they can't even be compared to Windows in any way whatsoever, because all they make is like a Windows manager on top of BSD, you know, a bit, a bit on top of basically the Unix operating system, and, and they've and they basically managed to mess that up too. I mean, uh, I mean, whenever I talk to Mikey about it, I'm always saying that Mac OS X is like, you know, Unix gone retarded, um, where they basically just sort of like take over what was all great about Unix. I mean, you can't edit the configuration files, and it moves stuff around all over the place. And even Mac users yeah. <laughs> we talk to, they can't. They're like, I can't find the configuration file. It's so easy to set up on my server that's running regular Unix, you know. But on Mac, it, it takes it over, closes it off, twists it around. I mean, Scotty has a story uh, about his nightmare with the Samba config from that, and it's yeah, it's. Um... <clears throat> I had a had a colleague at one point who he he had a Mac and of course all the other machines in the place were Windows machines and so of course you know our not that Windows networking is the greatest don't get me wrong it's a real pain sometimes but uh, although you would read online on the Apple website that you know oh sharing with Windows machines no problem it just works. I said, okay, it just works. Well, you know, well, this particular Mac user, he didn't know how to actually make his his sharing work with the Windows network, so so I had to go and do it, and uh, I very quickly discovered that uh, actually it required me to go into the Samba configuration file and hack a lot of stuff, and I went on, you know, went on the internet and discovered that there were many, many, many people who had the same problem, and they had to hack it as well. Then you fast forward a couple of years, I was in another situation where I wanted this Mac with a later version of, of OS X. I wanted the Mac, you know, the same situation, wanted the Mac to be able to basically read and write, you know, share files with the other Windows machines on the network. And at that point, they had done their thing where they had uh, basically like like the configuration files, as Jason said, like the, the Samba 
conf file, the configuration file, um, where you can normally go in and hack stuff, it's somehow protected, it's not editable, and it's automatically generated by by the uh, by OS ten. So that's some. So except so I did a search on that and no one knew how to get around it. It was like basically everyone who had this problem they just kind of gave up and they said, well, yeah, I don't, they blame I don't, I don't, I don't want to share files with, with Windows. Windows because it may it may like it may I, I think it you may guys soil my Mac, you know. I and think that, what you what you've done here, I think you've given a more technical example of something I've noticed. Um, for myself, and I think I see it in, in other people as well. So if I'm using Windows and I come across a problem, if I can't ask someone more knowledgeable for help, I'll troubleshoot. You know, I'll go on Google or do a search, try and find out what the issue is. And then, you know, it'll lead me eventually to this thread. Okay, try and download this. I download it. Ah, it worked. Problem solved. Or maybe not, and I've got to try again. But you, you cannot... In the pro- in the course of doing that, you learn, right? Mm-hmm. You learn, and your Windows is compatible. You can go to any number of places for solutions, mm-hmm. and you've added in some way to your own knowledge right. and your computer's ability to do whatever it was you were looking for. But with Apple, if somebody has a problem with their Mac, if they can't find the ready-made prepackaged solution from Apple, Right. They sort of surrender and just – they, they remain that they cannot get out of the Apple bubble. If Apple doesn't support it, then it does, it's, it's not worth doing. You know, I mean – and that's what we're, when we talk about when we say that Apple is a, is a closed system. Mm. And it's gotten even more closed, actually, if that was even possible. I mean there are situations like uh, – one of, one of our colleagues is always talking about it. This, this, uh, this, there's some sort of cloud service. Don't even get me started on that. Cloud service from like – for Apple, where you can like share your pictures immediately with all these different people, but in order to even share photos with other people, you just have to have an Apple device. They don't even they they, they won't even let you sign up for the service unless you have a, an iPod, iPhone, i whatever, i stupidity. I have no idea, but it's and it's ridiculous. And it's it's a totally closed system. And I mean, it's a totally totalitarian, dictatorial system where it tells yeah. you what's worthwhile inside of the technology sphere. And it strikes me that this goes against the very ethos of the original creators, the original creators of the software, the hardware, the computer technicians who that made the internet well, itself. The whole ethos it, it's diametrically opposed mm-hmm. to what this guy is claiming that you know Gurdjieff and Steve Jobs right, is all about. Absolutely. But but it's still intentional by Steve Jobs because today I watched an interview uh, from ni- from 1990s where Steve Jobs said he invented Apple products to enable people who don't know how to use computers to use computers anyway. So that is one of the selling points and the, the, right. the main features of Apple. So what you're saying yeah. is true. In, in Windows at least can go troubleshoot, but in Apple you're actually... Not really encouraged to understand what's going on. Yeah, so. <clears throat> you can see like a, 100, to... a 180 degrees between Steve Jobs in 1990 and Steve Jobs in 2000 or whatever it was. So I mean, so 180. You, do you think it began with good intentions and then? No, I think that in the 1980s and 90s, the selling point was connecting people together, and and the selling point and. And then the me generation, you know, really got kicked into gear, and it's all about me, 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 and 
taking care of me and I don't want to have to be intelligent. I don't want to have to learn about anything. I don't want to have to do anything. I want everything done for me. I want to be told what games to play, what programs to use, what videos to watch. And all I want to do is consume video, multimedia content, and games. And that's really what Apple and all of this stuff is really about. It's about consuming multimedia content and games because that's really all of the Mac is really good for. I mean, as, as it's a substandard development platform, to be quite honest. I it's mean, a, it's an Angry Bird machine. It's an Angry Bird machine. It's it's for it's for basically. I want to take pictures with my iPhone of me and my friends going out to do whatever it is that we do, and then I want to share those. I mean, just think about all of the work and effort and technology that goes into basically facilitating people. To just share photos. I mean, it's really kind of like insane. And it's ridiculous honest. when you have these, these iPads, which are quite large, and people use them to take pictures of landscape and sightseeing and so on. They actually don't look themselves at, at the sites. They just took the they look into the iPad yeah. to take videos and never see the actual scene themselves. Yeah, you know, <laughs> they see the entire world through their their eye devices. I think I have here a testimony from someone who was published in. The Times of India recently, actually. So, at first I thought it was my imagination. Around the time the iPhone 5S and 5C were released, I think that was a few months ago, yes, September, I noticed that my sad old iPhone 4 was becoming a lot more sluggish. The battery was starting to run down much faster. But the same thing, happened to, the same thing seemed to be happening to a lot of people who, like me, swear by their Apple products. When I called tech analysts, they said that the new operating system, iOS 7, being pushed out to existing users was making older models unbearably slow. Apple phone batteries, which have a finite number of charges in them to begin with, were drained by the new software. So I could pay Apple $79 to replace the battery, or perhaps spend 20 bucks more for an iPhone 5C. It seemed like Apple was sending me a not-so-subtle message to upgrade. This isn't the first time that tech analysts have noted that breakdowns in older Apple products often coincide when upgrades come onto the market, taking this as evidence of planned obsolescence, a term that dates to the Great Depression. Now, what is planned obsolescence? In industrial design, this is a policy of planning or designing a product with, deliberately with a limited useful shelf life so that it will become obsolete that is unfashionable or no longer functional after a certain period of time in order to ensure that people will buy the new next thing. And they're so brazen. Yeah, they are. You know. They make no bones about it. You, you call for tech support and they say, well, you can buy the new one. Or yeah, pretty much. Because... And, and they intentionally... I mean, I'm sure that they intentionally wrote the, the system in such a way that it would detect that it's running on older system and it would probably just start some random processes that would just run the battery down or something, you know? I mean, it's, it's a very trivial thing to do. But yeah, it's like GMOs, you know, built-in Terminator seeds. Right, yeah. I mean, it's just... You, you cannot replant the old seeds for next year's harvest. You need to get the iPhones 17. I mean, as you go through life, you begin to learn that, like, you know, the largest number of pedophiles will always be found in anti-pedophile organizations. The largest number of... Uh, human rights violators will be found uh, supporting or advocating human rights, um, as we, we learn quite often. <laughs> um, and the people who talk the most about creating technologies of liberation or technologies of freedom are the ones who are actually trying to take it away. 
And that's what you see with Apple. They, they, they try to they promote themselves on a platform of liberating and connecting people, but actually what they're doing is they are enslaving them um, pretty the, much. The new iPhone has a fingerprint scanner. That means every time you have to turn it on, your fingerprint is scanned. Which, I mean, you know, I guess is... is yeah, I've got a headline here. That's great. <laughs> that's Apple what I want. iPhone... 5S, big brother dream come true. Mm. Fingerprint, eye retina scans. The NSA is very happy. Seriously, it's it's, it's almost a very it's very opposite to this image they projected. Right. Of well, you mentioned earlier that invariably you get artists and hippie types and right. people who are hip. They're in. They know the social issues. <laughs> well, people who think but, they are. It's a Dunning Kruger yeah. situation in there. Yeah, and yet I pointed out. I mean, iPhones are. They're made by slave labor, just like the other ones. Right, right. So I mean, you're in China, to that system. But the thing is, the the thing is, is when you use technology, period, right? As a general rule, it has been orchestrated to the fact where you cannot help but support that type of situation. It's all made in China and all made by slave labor at this point. There's almost no way around it. You can't have. There's no cell phone company that you can go to and as, you know, we're going to give to. I mean, Samsung ain't any better. <laughs> you know, Google's Android ain't any better. You know, I mean, this stuff isn't better. It's just. It's like you look at the situation, and it's not even a question of the lesser of two evils. It's like two evils, and as long as you go into it with your eyes open and realize that you're evil and you're evil, and I'm screwed, basically. But it's these people who come on and they say, yeah, I choose Apple products because of X. I don't use Windows because they're an evil corporation. It's like Windows is an evil corporation, absolutely 100%. And it's a shitty operating system, absolutely 100%, in the grand scheme of things. But you want to know what? Mac OS X, shitty operating system, an evil corporation. And it's just that simple. They're all evil. And it's the problem that I generally have with the Apple users is not that Apple is better or worse, specifically. It's that these people are going around, Apple's so much better. Apple's good. They're good. They're different than Microsoft. They have the texture. They it feels good. Yeah. By just, by way of introduction to other unsung heroes in the techie world, I found it interesting that the, somebody pointed out in the forum thread that the same week or the week after Steve Jobs died, someone else, a guy called Dennis Ritchie, um, that you don't know who died. He is. I don't know who he is. Who's Dennis Ritchie? He is. He's the architect. The, of the Matrix? He is the maker in ways that you probably would never really understand. <laughs> he has tried everything. Teach me. You know, he was involved in Unix. Now, this is back in the days before Apple and before Microsoft and any of that stuff. And they, Steve Jobs was 12 years old. Steve Jobs was 12 years old. And they, um, it was uh, MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and like Bell Labs Bell or something like that. And they, at that time, basically, when computers were shipped, of course, they were huge and as big as a room, but uh, they were not shipped with an operating system or any software whatsoever. You had to write your own. And a, different company, a couple of different companies, I think, had, had come up and started making uh, different operating systems and trying to sell them. They, of course, people would then, they would give you the source code. People would have to compile it for the machine and do all this different stuff. But then people started sharing it, and the companies were like, no, they're taking our pennies. And so they started closing it off. So uh, Dennis Ritchie, Ken Thompson, I think a couple of other guys got together and they started making this thing called Multics or something, which is the multi 
Plex to timeshare machine or whatever it is. And then that kind of fell through, and then he and, and they went off and they came up with Unix, basically, which was an operating system that was um, generally going to be able to run on a lot of different machines. And in order to do this, they needed to, they needed to stop programming them in like machine code or assembly language, which is very, very low level. It's like each instruction is one line. So they created um, the C programming language, which is the basic underpinning of absolutely everything. everything that you use is, is written. And if it's not written in C, whatever language you're writing it was written in C. You know, I mean, they, it's derived from it. Yeah, basically. I mean, almost all major programming languages right now that are, are, that are popular and, and in use from Java and anything like that, they're called C, the C family of languages because their syntax basically mirrors C. So he created the language that we use to express all of the wonderful programs that we like to use. And he also created the first kind of like real operating systems as we really understand them, which is this code that runs on different kind of hardware and stuff. So, I mean, he really kind of made all of this possible. And it's so sad because it was just within a few days and I compared the Wikipedia pages of, of Steve Jobs and Dennis Ritchie. And Steve Jobs' Wikipedia page is huge. He has like 300 or 400 citations at the end. And Dennis Ritchie's uh, Wikipedia entry is like very short, like one page. And nobody mentioned him. Yeah, you know. to, to, really, to really understand um, <clears throat> the, the significance of, of C, uh, the programming language, and Dennis, Dennis Ritchie's contribution to technology in general, uh, whether it's you know, used for good or bad or well you know that's another question entirely but just in terms of comparing given that steve jobs and dennis ritchie died the same month steve jobs was hailed as this hero and then you have dennis ritchie who no nobody even knows who he is um c when we say that c programming is used for everything uh what that means is that if you have a washing machine that has electronic controls on it most likely the software that makes it go is written in c most likely so is the engine computer that runs your car or perhaps your fancy electronic coffee pot, uh, your smartphone, your computer. Um, Everything. Literally, the, 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 the equipment that runs the telecommunications network when you want to make a phone call, the routers and switches and um, airplanes fly because of see more or less i mean yeah. it's, it's literally literally any any technology that involves electronics right. that's and that's more than a passive device like you know something electronic I, right. it's not just like a mechanical and like an electric fan motor running right. if it's anything electronically controlled which these days is literally everything is essentially uh possible because of this guy who made this c language for better and, or for worse but and there you go how much money do you pay Dennis Ritchie for C. I don't even know who he is, so I get zero. Yeah, and this guy died alone in, in, a, in a little dinky, little dinky place, and nobody knew anything. But, you know, because he just did it and gave it. And I mean, Unix has historically been kind of like this free, open source thing, and that that whole movement, that the whole possibility of GNU and Richard Stallman's free software and all this different stuff, is made possible because of C. But here's one other thing. When you install Java, because there's probably a couple of Java programmers listening to you, when you install Java, Java runs on a virtual machine. Guess what that virtual machine was probably written in? <laughs> C. Yeah. 
You know, so they're like, we're on, Java's on 3 billion devices. It's like, yeah, so is C. <laughs> it's on more. <laughs> but even more absurd is that Apple users think they're, you know, better in some respects. Yeah. With, us, with this fact in mind. Yeah, I mean, they talk about, like, Mac OS X basically took Unix as their operating system. So then it's like, it's like a double insult for Steve Jobs to get more credit than, because basically the, the, Taking the Unix kernel, the BS, I think the BSD. BSD, BSD, BSD kernel, the Berkeley Standard Distribution or something like that of Linux, which is the Berkeley School of Linux, um, uh, version of, of Unix, taking that pretty much did help to save Apple and get them away from their, their original, their own having to maintain their own operating system because that basically meant that they got to leverage the open source community of volunteers, people who volunteer their time to develop this stuff. They got to take all their work, and all they had to do is put a shiny cover on top of it and call it their own. Mac OS X is just Unix gone retarded. I mean, all they've done is basically put pictures on top of Unix and then sold it kind of as their own. And Dennis Ritchie, having been the creator and being involved in that whole situation, it's made all the worse because Apple builds and everything that everyone says about, I love Mac because it doesn't get viruses. Is that guess who's responsible for that? Dennis so, Ritchie. Because Unix, it's not that it's not that Mac doesn't get viruses because it's intrinsically immune to them. I mean, there are such things. It's, it's just because they have such a market share that none of because viruses are for the most part produced by the companies that make antivirus software. I mean, there's there's too many viruses in the world for yeah. these actually to be written, and they're they're too cleverly designed. I mean, it's the, Norton probably writes more viruses than any greasy haired Canadian kid could ever hope to. You know, so <laughs> Jason, that sounds like a conspiracy. <laughs> well, it's the truth. I mean, because. I just think that if I started an antivirus corporation, I'd realize that there just aren't enough greasy head Canadian kids. I would, I, you know, I mean, I would just have to like supplement. I mean, it would be innocent. First, they would say like, well, there haven't been enough viruses here. Let's write a couple ourselves. And then it's turned into a giant multi-million dollar industry. And yeah, I mean, qui bono, man, qui bono. Speaking of bono, bonehead, bono, the musician. Yeah. Of course, infamous for the photo with George Bush. A sort of ritually cleanse Bush of all his war crimes. And then, of course, there's uh, a similar photo of him with Steve Jobs. And I just think it's an extraordinarily successful marketing campaign. That's all it is. The thing is, is that your soul, in a certain sense, is really destroyed by every lie you believe. Every time you kind of believe a lie, it kind of like chips a little bit away from your soul. And there are a lot of people who go through life, and it's not just big lies. People are always looking for the big lie, right? At the same time, they are drowning in little ones, you know? And it's every time that you believe something completely untrue, it's really bad for you in, in, the, in the long run. And believing that Steve Jobs is anything other than a clever psychopathic salesman is basically destroying your soul, man. I mean, it really is. So when you compare that with a popular image, uh, a computer being a car, for example, then the operating system would be the, the engine. Yeah. And what you actually, actually can see on the screen would be the, the dashboard. Right. So when they're just creating a nice little dashboard, then you know, there's all this argumentation about what is, what is better. It's just arguing about a, a nice dashboard. Yeah. 
whereas people don't notice what's actually going going on behind the scenes. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's worse than that. I mean, to use like the car analogy, there was a guy on YouTube who, who used the car analogy as well. And another way, he was talking about Apple. And to give you an example of how Apple kind of works, um, Apple kind of has this absolute tight control over absolutely everything they connect to it. They have their own cords, their own things, blah, blah, blah. You have to buy Apple products to connect Apple products. It's very closed. You have to buy Apple products to view pictures in the Internet that have been made by Apple products. <laughs> yeah, basically, source. just to connect to their website. So, I mean, it would basically be like the Ford company coming along and buying Firestone tire makers and then making it so you can only use Firestone tires on every Ford company, doubling up, jacking up the price of Firestone tires, and then getting laws and all this different stuff and patents put into place so that if anyone tried to make a tire that fit to a Ford, they would sue your ass. And this is the corporation that you support. I mean, they are the worst. They are worse than Microsoft. They are worse than any other company when it comes to that particular thing. I mean, they sued Samsung for billions of dollars, and one of the patents that they were claiming they infringed on was the slide to unlock. That, that little thing on the iPhone, yeah. the slide to unlock. They patented that. It's the patent system is definitely broken at that point. And then some anti-Samsung and a pro-Apple guy who was on the jury, and later it was kind of like proved and shown that he was, he was an interested little psychopathic guy, uh, awarded them like a billion dollars. And it's ridiculous stuff that this company does. It's so horrible. So we've done this teardown on Apple, right? Right. And we've got this guy we opened our show with talking about the innovations and the inspiration that Apple brings. We've pretty much shown that to be untrue. Now, there might be something nevertheless to that. Because what do we see when we look out there today at information technology in general? People are imitating Apple. Yeah, that's the problem. Well, actually, they're, they're, yeah, in some ways they are, in some ways they're not. For example, um, Apple is very good at popularizing certain things. Like before the iPod came along, uh, the company Creative used to be called Creative Labs. No, I think they're just called Creative had a device called the Nomad. And basically, you remember in the olden days, this is, this is funny, I sound, you know, I, I feel old. In the olden days, um, they had these things called a Discman, which was like a portable compact disc player. And you'd yeah. see people jogging and they had this big giant, you know, looked like a like big disc attached to their arm. And, you know, it was, it was a CD player, right? A portable CD player. Well, Creative came up with this thing called the Nomad. And what it was, was it was basically a portable CD player. But instead of playing music CDs, it had a hard drive in it. And it had a little screen on it, and it had buttons, and you'd press, and it was essentially an iPod. And there were lots of other companies that made MP3 players. There were lots of companies that, I mean, you know, different. At that time, it was, nobody wanted an MP3 player. They had, I mean, it was, it was like, well, you know, I don't need one. I have, you know, I have my, my old Discman. I have, I have my own little, my little, my little Walkman, the portable tape player. You know, I mean, you know, nobody really cared. And then Apple decided to make the iPod. Suddenly, it was cool to have an iPod. You, you had to have those little white earbuds sticking out of your ear when you're sitting on the subway, you know? Uh -huh. And then every, and because, they, because everyone wanted one and because of their marketing campaign and because they literally convinced everyone that their lives would not be complete without one of these little electronic gizmos attached to their ears, all these other companies said, yeah, we're going to make them too. And the thing is then Apple says, oh, yeah, but we came up with the iPod and we're the ones who, you know, you're copying us now. 
Well, not really. The idea wasn't even original. Maybe the specific implementation of the idea was original, but then did it become popular because it really improved people's lives or was it popular because of a slick marketing campaign, you know, a la Edward Bernays and that whole thing? Yeah. And it just and the same the same thing happened with with the, the iPhone. I mean, a lot of companies made smart. You, you know, you had you know remember those little Nokia phones? You know, yeah. some people still have them. <laughs> and it was just a little tiny screen and it had buttons on it. And you want to know what it did? It made phone calls, and that's pretty much all it did. And yeah. there were these various companies. They made these so-called smartphones with a big screen. And essentially, a smartphone is basically a phone that kind of also doubles as a sort of portable computer and it can do other stuff easily. It's, it's far more flexible. You can do email, you can do, right. you know, m- much, much more easily, right? Other companies are making these things and then Apple popularized basically, it's, well, it's the iPhone. And suddenly everybody wants a smartphone. And then Samsung said, well, hey, we want a piece of that action, so we're going to jack up. And now, you know, I read, I read Techie News, Samsung releases a new smartphone like every week. They have like the Galaxy S4, the Galaxy S4 Mini, the Galaxy Mini S4, and the Galaxy Geo S4 Mini. The, I mean, they, and they have so many. They have so many different phones. It's actually stupid. You know, you don't even need to have that many models. No. But now they're just cranking them out hand over fist. And the vast. It's, but it's not. I mean, you know, you go to any major city. This is the part that really like drives me nuts about about the whole. Uh, well, one of the things that drives me nuts is that it's you. You can't go to not even major cities, even small cities, and, and you go on like a bus or a train or a subway, and it, it's like the image we have on our on our on the Blog Talk Radio page for this episode. One of the images is is basically a bunch of teenagers, you know, walking along a sidewalk, and they're all staring at their at their their smartphones, you know. And this is, I mean, people used to actually get together and they'd like eat dinner together and they'd go sit out on the porch and they'd talk like real human beings, and all of that has been substituted by. You know, texting, texting, and Facebook and Twitter, I and mean, people don't even interact with each other anymore. Yeah, and it's you know, if, if that's I mean, the result of of you know, it goes so far that legacy uh, people don't no even have you. sex anymore. They have sexting now. It's oh, just, yeah? it's gone it's gone really far. I mean, the human race is going to die out because everybody is going to be like have sexting instead of sex. I mean, it's it's just. It's insane what has happened in a certain sense. I mean, yeah, I don't get it. I don't. I'm not a tech. I'm not. I'm not into that kind of tech stuff. I don't even. I have a smartphone. I use it as an alarm clock. I don't even carry it around <laughs> with me. I mean, I don't like it. You know. Yeah, I have one, and I hardly use it. I'm like, if I got to make a call, sure, but if I can use a landline, I mean, I'll just use that. And in terms of like personal computer use. <sighs> I just want to use the computer, and then I want to be done with it. I don't want the matrix or whatever to follow me around all the time. Now you've got a situation where you leave your desktop, and you go and sit down on the sofa, and what you've got your iPad just for doing some browsing or tweeting or Facebooking. That's what I use that for. But, but you were just on the Internet a minute ago doing exactly the same thing anyway. I mean, the degradation of the language, the ad tweeting and Facebooking. <laughs> I mean, oh, my God, it's so horrifying. Because Facebook is just this pointless situation. I mean, it's completely pointless. And tweeting, I mean, does anybody – I mean, all tweeting has basically established is how boring everyone else's life is. Because when you get to see what they're doing every, like, five minutes, you realize, wow, dude, you have no life. And it's actually, I mean, <clears throat> I actually 
you know, I have people, they used to, first they would actually get together and they would talk and socialize, you know, like normal human beings are supposed to do. Then it became, well, you know, everybody's calling each other on the phone. Well, that, that's still pretty good because it's not face-to-face interaction, but at least you, you know, at least you're talking to a person in real time and there's some interaction still, even if it's, a, you know, slightly removed from, from real human interaction, you know. And now it's like, you know, people contact me on like Facebook, you know, like they send, they use Facebook's messaging service to send me a message like, hey, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like literally two sentences. And, you know, it used to be if someone wanted to talk to you, they would send you an email. Of course, if you're going to take the trouble to send someone an email, you might as well actually talk about, you know, talk about your life, ask them how they're doing. And now it's gotten to the point where it's literally like, like, human society as a whole has become it, it, it we're like we're like a race of of like tweeters you know like twitter like posting these short little blurbs and there's no it's just maddening yeah it's the consumer society it's it's like the extreme form of what is described in that documentary century of self where they look back at the beginning of the consumer society early 20th century when Edward Bernays, nephew of Edmund, uh, Sigmund Freud, um, basically invented public relations and advertising, as we know it, you you sort of tap into, well, that's the way they, they framed it anyway, you tap into people's unconscious desires and give them stuff or get them to think they need something yeah, and then produce the material good that happens yeah. immediately. Yeah. It, it used to be that people actually needed a product. Like, I need, you know, I and my family are roasting in the middle of the summer, so I need this fan. So I go to the store and I buy a fan, and I may pay, you know, some, some big bucks for it, but that fan will literally last 50 years. You know, and then it became, with, with Edward Bernays and the whole modern marketing, it was not about, it wasn't about what you needed. It wasn't about, you know, it wasn't about basic needs. It wasn't about you know, it wasn't even about comfort. It was, it's, it's like, you know, I have to have that car because it makes me a real man or, you know, I, I have to, yeah, you have this, I, I forget to, I should look up the title of this book. There's a book on Edward Bernays. That's very, very, very good. You spend money on something that you don't really need. Then you make all of these narratives to, to rectify, like to, to, to invent reasons why you bought it in the first place, even though you don't need it. Exactly. Uh, the book, the book that everybody should read if you haven't read it yet, is called Propaganda by Edward Bernays and Mark Crispin Miller. Uh, just get it and read it. It's called Propaganda. You can get it on Amazon, and then it will all make sense. Yeah. Just just by way of an example of the kind of mentality. That seems to have grown. I mean, this isn't just about Apple, of course. It's gone beyond. It's, it's not just about any one company. But I had, I had a boss who swore by Mac. She wasn't religious in, in any way, but she had this devout belief that PCs were evil. You know, a regular computer using Windows or any other uh, operating system. Uh, in fact, when I joined the company, she gave me a MacBook and said, all company work must be done on this. 
And it, her idea of rewarding people was to give us iPads. Now, she was also very anti-smoking, hmm. ruthlessly committed to saving the planet, mm-hmm. in word, if not in deed. And uh, I'm only adding that here because it's, it's just this... It's a pattern, it, you see. It, it, it puts in stark contrast the kind of... I mean, Bob's himself was... I mean, he's portrayed as a, a hippie. He was big into yoga, um, fruitarian. He was a fruitarian. I mean, that's an extreme form of vegetarian diet. Yeah. And it he goes, it goes with this yeah. whole, you know, green image. Right. That is in stark contrast. It was actually an extremely ruthless business model. Right. That took the exploitation of labor of people to an even worse degree. Well, Steve Jobs, in that sense, he killed himself in a certain sense. I mean, because Aston Kutcher tried for, for doing this movie, and when he did this movie about him, tried to the, the fruitarian diet, and ended up in the hospital with pancreas problems. And you can see that, from like 10 years, 10 years, how he aged and shrunk and shriveled and, you know, on this kind of like fruitarian green kind of thing. And there is actually something kind of like dark and implosive and entropic about this type of people. And they... They have this veneer of saving the planet, but really they're trying to, in a certain sense, destroy it. I mean, especially if you read, like, the vegetarian myth, and you'll see that under it all is, like, this very sly anti-life philosophy and a total narcissistic um, perspective because these types of people have basically raised themselves outside of nature and want to live unnaturally and think that they know what is best for, you know, the world around them and nature, basically, Telling nature how to act, you should eat. You, you should eat vegetables because you know eating animals is mean. And it's like, I mean, the history of nature is written in tooth and claw. I mean, do you think that nature didn't know what she was doing when she created predators and like lions? I mean, yeah, you can you can see it on YouTube. You just Google uh, Steve Jobs, the last interview of 1990, and he's uh, 35 years in this interview, and he's looking perfectly healthy, you know, radiating everything. Then, just 10 years later, you, you can see like, like a different person. Yeah. He and aged like, 20 years and 10. And died, yeah. with, died in uh, 56. And died at 56. Well, that's interesting. He aged rapidly because, you know, yeah. isn't, isn't that what we remarked on an earlier show about how all these politicians seem to age at a dramatically rapid rate? You know, it's, it's like when you turn evil. Yeah. When you turn evil. Taxes the body. It taxes the body, and that's. I think he he when he sold his soul to get back in control of Apple, they had kicked him out because they recognized what it was. He sold his soul for it, and then he paid the price, you know. And that's not to say, you know, I mean, we're, uh, we're yeah, it, it, <clears throat> obviously this this show is is kind of focusing on Apple because right. I mean, you know the title of our the documentary Gurdjieff and Steve Jobs. I mean, that's kind of what set it off. I mean, it's it's very clear and and. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've used Macs before in a, a, a work situation, and I've had to use them a little bit in, in uh, non-work situations. And I've used Windows. I still use Windows. I have and still used Linux, various flavors. And mm-hmm. I've got, you know, I mean, it. Um, it's not just Apple that's the problem. Apple may have popularized certain things like MP3 players and phones, and they they made it. They 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 really helped to make technology. Cool, mm. like the the that your you actually owning some piece of technology is it, it's not just a status symbol. It's a it's it's like a it's almost like the holy grail or something. Right. 
and and I mean the same is true of of all these other devices from from other companies. I mean, Jason mentioned Samsung. I mean, in, in terms of uh, annual revenues, uh, Samsung is about thirty three percent higher than than Apple. Even um, they have three hundred seventy one thousand employees. They make literally everything. They make apparels, chemicals, consumer electronics, electronic components, medical equipment, precision instruments, semiconductors, ships, as in like drilling drilling ships and oil tankers, and now they're making a cruise ship. That's like Samsung Heavy Industries. They make telecom equipment, laptops, hard drives, flash memory, smartphones. Um, they, they, I mean, it's like they, they, have the, they have a theme park in South Korea. It's owned by Samsung. I mean, Samsung is like this massive corporation. It, it remind, I, I was reading about this. It reminded me of like the Weyland yutani Corporation from the Aliens <laughs> movies because it's like I expect to wake up tomorrow and discover that, you know, Samsung has purchased, you know, all the world governments. And, you know, they, I mean, it's like, so I, mean, I look at this and I go like, well, you know, giant corporation, you know, Apple or not, I mean, it's, it's, it's the same with Windows and, and even Linux. You can fall into the trap of seeing uh, it yeah. as a passion. Yeah. I just want to read a very short quote from, from Gurdjieff because you know the original video uh, mentioned that Gurdjieff actually would have been an Apple fan. But Gurdjieff says, The majority of the contemporary beings have in their presence a very strange need to, ev in, to evoke in others what is called astonishment regarding themselves or even simply to see it on the faces of those around. The strangeness of this need of theirs lies in this, that they get satisfaction from astonishment on the part of others regarding just their exterior, ex exterior appearance, which they have precisely in conformity with, with their fashions. So everything seems to uh, uh, rotate around exterior appearances, and that is the core of the problem. Yeah, basically, yeah. The yeah, Apple is all about the image, the Apple image that they project. Yeah. yeah, it's a fashion. Jason, you mentioned Foxconn earlier. Um, just yeah. for listeners, the, the Foxconn is a is a Chinese company. Is it Foxconn is a Chinese company? Um, they call it Hanhai Precision Industry Limited. Now, and, uh, Apple got the flack when this broke last year, I think that um, most, if not all, of their products will be made by this company. Right, and there was... People were working 11 yeah. days straight, you know, 76 hours a week for nothing, uh, yeah. commi committing suicide. Basically. Um, but Apple isn't the only company. No, everybody goes to them pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Almost, Fox, almost. Foxconn, Foxconn it's, it's actually, well, according to Wikipedia, it's actually Taiwan-based. Yeah, it's a Taiwanese company. They have, they have so get this, Apple has 76,000 employees, Foxconn has 1.2 million employees. So, like, Foxconn is like one of these huge companies, and it's it's basically like you know we often refer to it as you know cheap Chinese slave labor. That's right. literally that's literally what right. it is. It's slave right. labor, and they right. they are the ones who you know you buy a gizmo, the gizmo might be designed in California or or, or Korea or wherever, but it's the design and and you know all the the you know, all these different parameters and specifications and such are sent to Foxconn. They manufacture it. Most of the time they assemble it for literally peanuts. And then they assemble it, package them up in bulk, ship them over to the U.S. or Europe or wherever, right. and sell them for an exorbitant amount of money. And so... I mean, I don't necessarily want to pull this back to Apple, but just for a quick thing. I mean, most of the Apple pins itself the platform of, yeah, we're doing all this different stuff, right? 
the Apple is like it's an advertising agency, right? And they have a couple of guys and they draw pictures of something they want. They don't probably even make prototypes anymore. I mean, Foxconn, they send pictures of what they want it to look like. Foxconn says, okay, well, we have 15 million of this board and 15 million blah, 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 of this chip and all this different stuff in this screen. They put it all together and send a prototype, and Steve Jobs clicks around on it and says, yeah, this is good, and sends it back to them, and they make it. I mean, Apple is just – it's a giant ad agency at this point. I mean, Foxconn even does, like, prototypes. It's an original design manufacturer. This – these guys probably just get pictures, and then their engineers, that their slave engineers that they're beating the whip over, probably actually figure out how to put all of it together in, in the majority of cases. And, and everybody goes to them. You know, I mean, this is it's not just Apple who goes to them. They manufacture probably just about a little bit of everything. I mean, I'm sure HP gets stuff from Foxconn. I'm sure that, you know, the Lenovo group and even Asus probably get equipment and they from, do, from yeah. Foxconn. Yeah, pretty I mean, much everybody. Pretty much everybody. There, I think there are a couple other companies, but <laughs> Foxconn is was one of the. It's one of the big ones. One of the big ones. So it's really disingenuous for I mean, for even people to be like, I'm a Apple user because Apple has superior. Hard- now Apple has the same hardware as everybody else. They just charge more for it. It's all the same. It's all coming from the same place. It's all the. It's all created, created, manufactured, and assembled by the same people. It's just who drew the pictures? Did Asus draw the pictures or did Apple draw pictures? I mean, that's really that's really what we come down to. Yeah. So they charge higher prices for the same or worse goods. They don't pay people who actually manufacture the things anything. And I've got a story here. Apple avoids paying billions in worldwide tax. Mm, yeah. Of course, they all do. But somebody pointed out here, in fact, former executives say Apple has been particularly talented at identifying legal tax loopholes. Yeah. By basically their motive having, being, well, the profits have come in so thick and fast. Right. So, I mean, they have like they have an office in Reno, basically, because Reno has a 0% corporation tax or something like that. And they have offices in uh, like the Virgin Islands or whatever it is. So, yeah. They just All these things is, is like every single person is going around being like, you know, taxes, it sucks so bad and, you know, all this different stuff. And these companies here, these are the worst offenders in tax evasion and completely legally legal. They have but because, of course, they, they pay the, the lobbyists in Washington to get the laws and the loopholes written in and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's nothing more than you'd expect. I mean, the, uh, supporting these companies, I mean, you can't help but support them monetarily because you literally cannot buy anything without supporting these companies because they, they have their fingers in every pie. Basically, because they have this Brandenburg Capital Holdings or whatever it is, and it, I mean, these these guys they get together and they have these holding companies that then buy everything else. You can't help but feed the money. But the worst thing is, is when you think that you're not. That's the whole thing. When you think that you're not feeding into that evil system, and you think that you're doing good, when you're actually just doing worse. That's the really bad thing because you can't. It's like Scotty was saying. It's the way the Newtani Corporation with Samsung. But really, I mean, even Samsung is probably. I mean. These guys, they're so huge. They've got their fingers at every pie. I mean, you can't put a coin in a, in a coin meter on the street without giving some kind of money to one of these evil people, you know? Yeah, for the longest time, that was Microsoft, right? And Microsoft was never that evil. I mean, that was an advertising campaign from Apple, and it was completely Wait, disingenuous. what was? This whole... This Microsoft whole, is evil. Microsoft is whole, this whole Microsoft evil stuff. Well, Bill Gates at least was a programmer in the beginning. Bill Gates actually, well, first of all, I mean, generally speaking, when you talk about computer, programming's, computer programming, there's like 
uh, sort of like the arcane archmage level of computer programming, which is if you've implemented your own compiler or your own programming language, right? So that's like you're like a programming guru at that point. You get like all kinds of that's, – that's, that's the ultimate street cred. That's like for the equivalent of a rapper for like you know, killing somebody or something like that for modern rap. I mean that is the ultimate, right? And Bill Gates is up there. Right. I mean, he, you know, I mean, even Steve Jobs bought the basic 1.0 from from Microsoft and he and I can't who else was working on it. Yeah. And I think I think, you know, Bill Gates did his own, you know, buying of things. And, you know, sure. he, he, he wasn't exactly a saint, but at least the man actually understood something. Yeah. And he really. did contribute something himself rather than being a glorified salesman. Now, that doesn't mean that Microsoft is some holy corporation and, you no. know, oh, you know, we all love Microsoft. I mean, no. you know, I mean, for me, at the end of the day, you know, I have I have a computer and, and it runs Windows and I have several virtual machines with other operating systems because, you know, booting between multiple operating systems is a pain and everyone around me uses Windows. All the tools I need are available on Windows. Um, I have a way to get Windows uh, relatively cheaply. That's perfectly legal, and so you know it fits. And yeah. but at the end of the day, it's 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 like to me, it's like a tool. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't go out to like the workshop and and pick up you know like a cordless drill and go this cordless drill. It's it's changed my life. <laughs> look at look at glossy finish and the. Did you know that this this drill has you know and start rattling off all these specifications that have nothing to do with reality because it's just a tool, you know? I mean, you, you, you make holes with it. You drive screws into a piece of wood, you know? And to me, that's kind of what a computer is. Right. And I mean, yes, I may, I may go, ooh, you know, my laptop's slow. I'd like a new one, you know? But at the end of the day, it's, it's just a damn tool. You Which, know? Would, by the way, I would like to point out that, like, the Apple keyboard gets dirty so quick. <laughs> so quick. Because they, I mean, it's like, I don't think these people actually use that computer for anything because it just gets so gunged up so quick, you know? Um, so the question then is, uh, what is it about, especially the whole Apple thing? Like, what is it psychologically? Because to me, you know, I, I was kind of, you know, ranting a little bit about the whole, you know, people not, you know, not talking to each other and not socializing. And it's like, it's like technology, you know, technology is supposed to make our lives better. And in some senses it does, but in probably the majority of, of, of ways today, you know, technology is not actually, I don't think, really making humanity better per se. It's, it's kind of, well, it's a source of control. It's, we just look around and the results are worse, right? Plus, all the knowledge available today, I think Wikipedia, is all stored on very uh, sensitive equipment. So, uh, for coming generations, if something happens, uh, all of this will be lost. And but unless we put everything into stone, it's going to be it's, it's just going to vanish. Fear not, Mikey, because the NSA is. Recording all <laughs> of this data. They've got copies of everything. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm sure they'll be willing to share. You know. Well, that's but, something that. Yeah, go on. No, I, I, I was just gonna, gonna say that uh, one of the, one of the readers uh, on our, uh, the thread on our forum about this Gurdjieff and Steve Jobs video again. Uh, another uh, reader posted a, a link to the website youarenotsosmart.com. And this is the website uh, by the author David McGraney, who wrote a book called 
You Are Not So Smart, uh, which is also an excellent book and one that everybody needs to read, probably before you read Propaganda by Edward Bernays. And um, I, I have a few quotes, and I was I was rereading this earlier today, and, and for me it sort of really kind of cemented everything and, and made it perfectly clear. So McGraney writes that the, the misconception is that you prefer the things you own over the things you don't because you made rational choices when you bought them. But he says the truth is that you prefer the things you own because you rationalize your past choices to protect your sense of self. And then he goes on, he talks about, you know, fanboyism. It's, it's nothing oh, yeah. new. He, he talks about like the, the Quaker Oats Company uh, back in... Uh, it was you know like back in 1877, Quaker Oats put a friendly logo on their on their uh, on their burlap sacks, and you know this was you know there was no, as he says, there was no friendly Quaker family making the oats. You know the company wanted to associate trustworthiness and honesty, the, the trustworthiness and honesty of Quakers with their product, and it worked. Everybody bought it. So even way back then, you know this whole marketing thing was was alive and well. And he kind of goes on, and it, it's it's a Really interesting excerpt, but I'll just sort of abbreviate a little bit. Um, a couple of the most important points that he makes. He writes that in experiments at Baylor University, people were given Coke and Pepsi in marked cups and then hooked up to a brain scanner. The device clearly showed a certain number of them preferred Pepsi while tasting it. When those people were told they were drinking Pepsi, a fraction of them, the ones who had enjoyed Coke all their lives, did something unexpected. The scanner showed their brains scrambling the pleasure signals, dampening them. They then told the experimenter afterward that they had preferred Coke in the tests. So basically, I like Coke all my life, right? Yeah. And I go and I do this blind taste test. And I drink Pepsi and I go, ooh, that one's yummier. And then the experimenter, the guy, you know, he tells me, no, actually, that's, that's not Coke you just drank. That's actually Pepsi. So he continues, in other words, they lied but in their subjective experiences of a situation, they didn't. They really did feel like they preferred Coke after it was all over, and they altered their memories to match their emotions. Now, just stop and think about that for a minute. And that's what you observe all the time, with, yeah. especially with Mac users, is that they, they just lie about their experience. They lie to you. They yeah. say, oh, it's so much better. But it, it, you know it's not. it never crashes. It does. They have, they, they have a pinwheel of doom. It's just like the blue screen of that. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's, he actually, he even goes on and he says one of the, one of the, um, the, uh, the factors in, in this sort of, this emotional attachment is how much money you spend on something. Mm-hmm. And he says, it's the choosing one thing over another which leads to narratives about why you did it. So you think of you think of the whole emotional investment that especially I mean it, it's true of, of people who buy all kinds of products I mean it's it's true of people who buy cars when people are voting for their or cheering for their their favorite sports team I mean it's it's all basically the same concept but in the case of of Apple especially just you know kind of where we started off um, one of the techniques that they use is to take either standard or subpar hardware as we've already laid out. And they package it up and they charge you two or three times as much money for it. So they have the whole slick marketing campaign and then they make you pay too much money for it, which just cements it in your mind yeah. that, no, this thing really has changed my life. It really is easier. It really is better. And it, it's like a... It's, 
it's an extreme form of identification. I mean, money will always help to right. to grease the wheels, but it's the marketing as well that identifies the eye. It's a, it's an extreme form of actual mind programming. I mean, well, yeah, this is this is the, where it's going, isn't it? The study of the um, Cialdini writes about the, uh, the prisoners of war from from the Korean War, you know, and they, they these guys came back and they were all like pro pro-communism or whatever it is and of course Americans just couldn't handle that so they were like they brainwashed them that must have been horrible so they did a study on what they did <clears throat> and what they found that they did was they would put these guys all together in, in bad conditions and then what they would do is they'd have essay contests this is the weirdest thing they'd have essay contests and the winner of the essay contest would receive something like a piece of fruit or whatever it is and they didn't even have to write this they just had to copy it over and what they found basically is that when you give people this kind of situation, you put them in this horrible situation, and you give them like a reward or something like that, they automatically have to create in their mind because it's so small, right? The advantage is, so re- is really a small advantage that they can't justify it to their friends that they wrote a pro-communism essay. So they say, well, you know, actually communism isn't that bad. You know, they, they change the way that they think about things to justify, you know, the choices that they've made. And that's how they brainwashed. They didn't beat anybody. There was no electroshock going on. They didn't torture anybody into believing any of that stuff. It was just basically you get a person to make a choice and expend an effort and put them in a situation where they have to justify it to other people. Because if you say, I got a Mac and I paid 2800 bucks for a Mac of the exact same power that I had 800 bucks, so basically I just spent $2,000 more than I should have because I bought into it then they're going to have to rewire their brain to justify it to themselves. Oh, it's so much better. It's so blah, 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 blah. And it's just how they do it. It's just mind programming. Yeah, and I mean, that, that was, I, I had read the book before, and I had read the excerpt before, and I read it again earlier today before the show, and I nearly fell off my chair because I don't think the first time it really hit me that when he says that they really did feel like they preferred Coke after it was all over, and they altered their memories to match their emotions. I mean, how how many of us have, have actually experienced this in in other realms of our lives, where you know you, you remember you have some you remember some traumatic event or something, and 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 you know the other person who was the cause of this this issue or whatever says you know that never happened, mm-hmm. no no, that you're you're crazy that's that's totally wrong. Yeah. Well, no. And they're helping it because with every every Apple product you get little stickers, you know, with the Apple logo on it, and. Uh, friends of mine have the stickers all over the place, on a coffee machine, on the PC even. <laughs> they cover up the logo of the PC with Apple. Yeah. I, I've seen does people with, with magical powers. Yeah. Or does it, right? I've seen people get haircuts with the Apple logo. Ah, Jesus Christ. Tattoos. Yeah. yeah I, have you ever seen someone with with a with a, like a like a Windows tattoo or a, a no. Windows nope. logo cutting their hair? I mean, that would people would people would just laugh at them, you know? Yeah. Or, or like, or you know, the the you know Ubuntu logo or something. I mean, it's just that's absurd, you know. Because it's recognized by friends, right? Yeah. This got me to thinking. You know how for decades now, um, we are kind of there technologically speaking. A lot of people have been paranoid about the end game of the conspiracy, namely that it is to implant the entire global population with a microchip device that will control their thoughts, actions, be able to pinpoint their locations, et cetera, et cetera. Well, so 
but this kind of technology does exist, mm-hmm. and it's out there to some degree or another. Right. Um, people get implanted with a chip in the military, mm-hmm. retiree, and, uh, in old people's homes, perhaps other institutions, hospitals. But it struck me that they're they're afraid and they're waiting for this hellish scenario. And in the meantime, they're buying iPhones, which have the chip in it. In the meantime, they're walking around with five devices that do all of that and more. Right. So it's no longer necessary to implant people. No, I mean the no, best thing because you're they're being trained full time by the devices. The devices are they're so identified with it right. that their whole life is lived through it, and it in turn will have an effect on the way they think. It's right. not a one-way system here. The information is going two ways. Right. It's changing the way people think. Right. Yeah, I mean, people think that, like, say, for instance, the NSA or the CIA have, like, this hacking room of these super smartest guys ever, and they can hack your computer, and they know how to do all this different stuff. And you know what? I mean, they don't at all. As they go out, find some smart kid, and they say, we'll fund your company, make this game, and they just put, like, little... They get you to install the programs that track you. I mean, they don't have special programs to track you. They get you to install it. It's the games that you buy. It's the operating systems, whatever. They've got control of all that stuff. They just back it with money. I mean, it's they get it's the Trojan horse thing. I mean, the people of Troy brought the horse in. It was like, here's a gift. Don't you want it? And they're like, oh, yeah, we like that. That's nice. It, it fits with our ego. And then you bring it in. It's like... Yeah, I mean, they're not going to forcefully install any chips in anybody. They'll, if that ever comes to that, people will ask for the chips to be installed. They will be lining up, sleeping on the sidewalk outside of Best Buy to get Best Buy techs to install you know, chips into them. Basically. Because it's cool to have them. Because it's cool to have them. It'll be like, did you Apple chip? It like reads your mind. And, oh, yeah, by the way, they can kill you with a single button press because, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's just, I mean, I don't know. It's... It's, that whole conspiracy thing, is I think, is already there. I mean, they don't need to install the chips into people. I mean, because everybody keeps their iPhone with them wherever they go. <laughs> I mean, yeah. why, why bother installing it in somebody? Because then they can get it updated. Because once you install it, they have to come and they have to remove yeah. it when you upgrade it and all this different stuff. And they get people to actually buy the technology and keep it with them at all times. And take, I mean, people going around pay for it and taking pictures of everything that they're doing. I mean... That's that's the way to do it. Not not try to install technology because technology gets gets out of date, you know. And they need to get the latest, the newest, the greatest. And so that's why things like Apple are supported and all these companies and and all this stuff. Well, because regarding NSA spy scandal, yeah, and Apple and Microsoft and Google and Facebook, from 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 their point of view, they're not really going to Apple to nah. get. Nah. The goods, right? I mean, an Apple isn't kind of an end user product. It's just, it's just, it's almost like the, the spin-off of right. the real venture, right? The real right. work that takes place behind the scenes. Maybe, maybe we can talk about that for a while because all these companies are resellers for tech made somewhere else. I mean, like say for instance, um, Intel moved its production plant to Israel. You know, two words, Mossad. Basically, the, the, the Intel making, processor. The Intel processor. They're, they're making the processors. And, and Intel makes more than just the processor for your CPU, which is what does like the calculations and helps you run your computer. They do the chips for uh, your Internet card. And so why bother installing spyware when you can just 
insert you know a command sequence and just have direct raw access to the the Ethernet card or the Wi-Fi card or whatever it is. And, and that's why they do I mean, so they've probably got this to the point where it's actually in, instituted at the hardware level in a way that you couldn't really find out or understand, you know? I mean, because that would be much easier to hide than them actually going to Apple. And, and that, that whole thing where they install like a room, they might actually do that, but it's just to convince people that that's how they have to do it, you know? I mean, because that'd be a waste of time. I wouldn't do it that way install a room and have a guy sitting there, you know, that's, that's BS. That's just the, that's the act that they put on, you know? No, there was a study done on an automobile where they tried to, to hack it because, you know, most modern cars, uh, they have Bluetooth connectors and, uh, can connect to the internet and everything is like electronic. And they actually succeeded to, to hack this car by a Bluetooth dongle. Yeah and managed to turn the wheels independently, like uh, apply the brakes at, uh, at high speed. So they, they put this on a, on a stand, like in a, in, in a lab. And yeah, so they, they just programmed it into the, into the hardware and yep. it's not even necessary to run uh, an, an operating system on it. Yep. I think we've got a call. Is that right? We certainly do. Let's see. We Let's have see a call we... from Joel from Sweden. Yep. Uh, Joel, are you there? Hello? Hello. Hello. Hi. Welcome to the show. Hmm. What's your comment or question? Yeah. Uh, Well, I was thinking about, well, when it comes to the question of brand identification, another article I read on SOT some time ago, which was about uh, a study that had been done on brain activity when it mm-hmm. comes to people who are closely identified with some brand, such as Apple. And what was found was that the pattern is exactly the same as with religion, when people are involved with religious activities. That's exactly, well, how, the brain, that's exactly how the brain lights up when someone <laughs> engages in, for instance, their Apple devotion. Well, that's fascinating. I mean, that, that's exactly what we've been observing. But we've been thinking, of, you know, by way of analogy. Right. But it's it literally, analogy. it appears it's, it's actually literal. Yeah, it's literal. It's a religion. Wow. Steve Jobs is the second coming. Um, yeah, this, it, it's like, I think it's the, you know, traditionally the kind of analysis of um, people's brand identification has been the oh people identify with the lifestyle or or some section of the lifestyle you know but when it comes to I mean we're talking about the level of religion it's like it's more than that it's it's a captured mind it's complete another control of someone in other words if if brand identification is literally acting on the brain as as religion does then when you are extremely identified with a certain brand, you are quite literally in a religious cult. Yep. That's you know. the long and the short of it, I yeah. guess. I mean, and considering, you know, like Mikey was mentioning the stickers, you know, and it just, I think Mark of the Beast, <laughs> you know, like people putting the Mark of the Beast all over the place. I, I'm I, sorry, just yeah, I can, my mind. You know? I can give an example of how far that can go, and that's again from the video that we mentioned at the beginning of this radio show. I'm just quoting here. 
Apple's new saucer-shaped office building on a 150-acre property in Cupertino will have a diameter of 1,615 feet, more than twice the base of the Great Pyramid and more than the diameter of the Pentagon. It will be visible by telescope from other planets and will join other such, such structures, pyramids, earth drawings, etc., which have that beacon light distinction. We can expect the Apple office's unitary glassy ring window construction will be quite a reflector of light, much more than the capstone of the Great Pyramid. That, that's a joke, oh, right? My, yeah, it's, it's not a joke. It's, it's word no salad. He's mixing like aliens and <laughs> Gurdjieff. I mean, this guy is. He's, but, but you see what it does Apple. to your brain. We're, you have to be really careful. Um, uh, what was <laughs> the name of this guy? Oh my God, I can't believe it just slipped my head. Yeah, Joel, you got anything else to say there? Hmm. Well, I was thinking about. Uh, well, you just brought this up. How belief systems can form justice in religions in connection with brand identification, which also goes into these narratives people use to justify their decisions, in this case, purchases and well, generally their allegiance to a brand. Yeah, it's, it's across the board, but um, mm-hmm. have you noticed it being, like, do, do you know people who use Apple or, or even w- mm-hmm. with any other of the so-called smart technology? I mean, do you, do you see yeah. it in people? Not so much with Apple specifically around me because no. I, yeah. I don't have any Apple fans in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you stay clear of them. You're lucky. You're smart. Well, no, it, it, it obviously it speaks to something that's deeper and beyond any one company. Um, the, 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 the centers of the brain. I think what companies like Apple, Samsung, all have done is, whether it's by design or just by sheer accident or trial and error, they've got to the point now where they know how we think so well and can tailor things so well that they've they've got people, you know, completely and utterly uh, beholden to one way of seeing, in this context, of seeing information technology and its uses. I mean, YouTube, what are the most viewed videos on YouTube? They're they're just totally vacuous. We've got this sea of information before us. You know, we've got unlimited potential to learn. It's really popular. The epic fails. The epic fail videos. Those are like the The jackass, the... Yeah, it's it's idiocracy. It's it like is. that movie, you know, How writ large. Um, it is. It's already it's already here. You know, I mean, it's there. Mm. But I wanted to to say something. Uh, do you have anything else, y'all? Yeah, I was just also thinking about this huge contrast in the. If you look at the potential of the technology, what it can be used for, and what some people use it for. Salt, for instance, and what most people do. So uh, these companies, well, they succeed in trapping most people as do governments they in, pro- in trapping most people as do governments with yeah. their propaganda in various other contexts. So some, well, some manage to escape this. And well, I think at the same time, well, all this technology, or at least the internet in general, 
if you look at how it's affected humanity at large, then it's, it's looking to shape up to a disaster, largely. But at the same time, it is also well, the, the only hope, I would say, for those who manage to keep their minds free from these things. It is the only real place left for relatively free exchange of information mm. in our world today. Yeah, and I mean, it's certainly true that, uh, I mean, <clears throat> you know, we have SOT.net and, and the forum at Cassiopeia.org, and um, mm. yeah, we, it's, I mean, the internet made that possible, so as much as we, as much as we can see that, that, that all these tech companies and all this technology is, is used in, in an evil way, it's, it's kind of like my, my power tool analogy, you know, while I'm, while I'm not going to become obsessed and super identified with, with the power tool, um, it really does depend on how you use it and what you use it for. And I, I, I wouldn't mind seeing more people actually use technology for the spread of information, the, yeah. the spreading of knowledge, and um, that, that sounds good to me. And they use it for spreading videos of Miley Cyrus twerking. <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah, I mean... Yeah, go ahead, Joel. Yeah, so you're thinking that uh, if you look at the effect that technology has on people, then I think it has a polarizing effect. So that well, people who are asleep, as Gurdjieff spoke of, they are well, they become even more wrapped up in their sleep, while people who strive to awaken are empowered by particularly internet-related technologies. So it, yeah. makes, it makes the worse worse, and it makes the best all the better. Yep. Yep. That's a good way of looking at it, as this polarizing effect. I mean, if everyone has their iPad out to share their thought articles, then, you know, there's a silver lining to it. Well, that, that's the question I have. I mean, is it the technology itself or is it something else? Well, we've kind of answered that. But I still mm -hmm. wonder where the technology might have gone if, let's say, its true potential had been allowed to develop as its, the original programmers foresaw and as they still try to work at today. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like it's being held back by the same... You've got this corporate elite that wants a closed loop because they need to extract the maximum profit from it. But they're trying to extract profit from something that is potentially <coughs> limitless in creativity. But it's becoming limited because, like as, you're, as, as you're saying, it's kind of like that, but very quickly it's becoming not that because of these closed Apple systems and these closed developer platforms they actually create a class of software that can be created with their equipment and they prevent you from doing anything outside of that way. So you can make 100,000 versions of Angry Birds with different colors and different pictures and different types of buttons and all that different stuff if that's what you want to do. But when it comes to actually making any kind of innovative applications, it's becoming less and less possible um, because of the, the technologies and paradigms that they're now teaching people. I mean, if all you learn about computer programming is Rails, then you are limited to a, to a very small class of applications mm. with a very, very limited amount of usefulness. So Also, yeah. In, yeah, in thinking about all of this, well, 
uh, import. Well, I think it's, well, as you have discussed it further, the generation of society and well, the way people live and function and relate to each other. But also I think well, all of these ways that technologies are being abused and used for evil is pretty much a symptom of society that is already quite sick and growing ever more hysterical. There simply couldn't well, I simply don't think it could have been any other way, given how screwed up things already were. That's a very good way of putting it, um, Joel. I think that's that's the bottom line. It's something that Gurdjieff himself would have said that things can things are as they are because there could be no other way. And so we see with technology. So I, I had something to say on the thing that Mikey, or this this guy, right? And uh, Milton Erickson, who was the creator of Ericksonian hypnosis, uh, he was a clinical psychiatrist, I guess, and he worked in the psychiatric world with like schizophrenic people. And he was always doing ex- hypnosis experiments, and, and apparently he had this nurse who had these terrible, terrible migraines. And she asked him to do some hypnosis on her, and it totally didn't work. So um, at this time, he was dealing with a lot of schizophrenic patients, and he had this crazy idea. And what he did is he took down and sat down with a, with a schizophrenic person and just wrote down every single thing that they said. And then what he would do is he would call her in, and he would read out loud and dictate to her everything that the schizophrenic patient would say. And deeply embedded in there were the, the hypnotic commands that he wanted to deliver to her. And he found that this was wildly successful. And it became kind of a basis for his technique of telling nonsensical stories, of saying nonsensical things because, as, as they've kind of learned, bullshit baffles brains. Basically, when you hear a stream of word salad, it actually sends you into a kind of a confusion induction, a trance. Reversive blockade. Kind of. Not, not, not exactly like the reversive blockade. But when someone's saying things that have no sense whatsoever, I mean, like basically on the level of schizophrenic stuff, you, 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 you get this information overload of non-sequiturs and things that don't connect, and you're like, but, and, and then all of a sudden you kind of like hit this point where you get into a, basically in a confusion induction. You are basically almost in a hypnotic trance, and then little commands that are inserted into that have a, have a much stronger effect. So when people sit there and they listen to stuff like what this guy is saying, it's, it's a hypnotic speech. Word salad is like is hypnotic to people. And, and that's kind of how that stuff works. And you see that a lot with, you know, these kind of like these fourth-way teachers and stuff like that. They just basically blah, 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 the word salad. And then towards the end, you get the actual message that they're trying to communicate. And they've just they've learned that all they have to do is just basically take a bunch of non-sequiturs and put it together, which is different than kind of like a reverse of blockade, which kind of like bombards you with lies. With the direct <clears throat> opposite of the truth, yeah. So strongly that eventually you just get, you, 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 you weakens your system and then eventually you give in and then it comes through and then you kind of become powerless because this person just keeps drilling the lie, lie over and over and over again. Whereas with this way, it's just like you get bombarded with like these shots of insanity. Okay, um, I think, Joe, you must be still on the line. We're going to let you go there. Thanks very much for calling in. Hmm? Hey, thanks, bye. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hmm? Bye-bye. There's something we haven't touched on that is, it's an example, I think, of 
clearly it's a choice somewhere along the line here where it's a technology that did not have to be used. It, it's not out there out of necessity, and that's Wi-Fi. It drives me nuts. A few years ago, I moved into a new place. I thought, well, I'm going to get the internet, so call up a couple of companies. I couldn't find a single company that would provide me with a modem that did not, that was not a, obliged me to use Wi-Fi. And they moved in that direction when there was no need to. Well, I mean, it has been moving in that way. And, and with, as to whether or not there was a need to, yes and no. I mean, wires can become unmanageable in a situation. They're not unmanageable. They do kind of get in the way and, like, you know, you run them all over the place. So it is kind of a, a mild inconvenience to some people to have to take care of the wires. So there always has been this push for wireless technologies for, like, Bluetooth and and infrared and all this different stuff. So it does kind of make sense, but obviously they went with maybe not the most healthy thing, and they started the, – I, I think that they didn't really – test it out and see because it does have a lot of adverse effects on people. I mean, it is, it's, it's a health risk and they've shown that, well, especially with cell phones, it's the same thing. And cell phones are a wireless technology as well. Yeah, I'm, I've had personal experience and, and <coughs> other friends and family have had uh, extremely negative experiences when when Wi-Fi was present in, in the living area. Right. And I mean, it's, it's it, to me, you know, it, okay, I mean, is it is it really more convenient because it's it's not that hard. It's in fact it's 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 even inexpensive to mm-hmm. to get you you know you yeah. get a little get a little router or a switch. I mean, you, when you get one of these like like Neil, like you were saying, you know, the the internet providers, you know, they give you a, their box or whatever, and it has Wi-Fi in it. Well, it also has like four or five Ethernet ports in the back. So you know, you have the box sitting next to your computer or something for the average family, let's say. Right. You know, they're going to have one, two, maybe even they have three computers. Well, it, it's not hard. to You buy the box very cheaply mm-hmm. uh, or you get the box you know, from your provider. You, you pay like five bucks a cable and, and you hook things up via Ethernet and you have no, you know, I mean, Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi is currently, um, there's a 2.4 gigahertz variant. There's an increasingly popular five gigahertz variant. And the new one that they announced in the, the not, not so long ago, is 60 gigahertz. Hmm. Now, you remember the, uh, I think it's that, that active denial system that makes you feel like you're on fire. I think that operates at 65 gigahertz. Of course, the power levels we're talking about here are, are very different, but <coughs> then you get into other, other questions like, you know, Wi-Fi is, it's, you're, you're sending data digitally using these, these microwave frequencies, literally. Um, and then you go, okay, well, what, you know, they're using some kind of encoding or you know, encryption, and, you know, you're sending this digital signal, and there are a lot of studies that show that this is like seriously bad for you. And I really, so, so what you're saying here is that people are actually installing into their homes an active uh, denial device or whatever it it's, is. Yeah. I mean, it, it, they, they might not feel like they're on fire. Are they going to stop <laughs> using tear gas? And when they go to, to raid somebody's apartment, they're just going to be like, all right, supercharges Wi-Fi and they'll all fall over and clutch what's, their stomach. What's you know? active denial? That's the, the the active denial. This I'm not sure if that's the name, but it's it's the it's the gizmo where there's a big panel on top of the you know like the the U.S. military has them. Oh yeah. It's like a big panel, and it actually shoots. They they call it a millimeter wave. It's, I think it's like 65 gigahertz. Shoots like a beam of basically radio frequency energy at like 65 gigahertz, and it penetrates like one sixty fourth of an inch into your skin. And it's this is what they say it 
activates the nerve receptors. What it's actually doing is basically cooking a thin layer of your skin. And it, it, it the, you know, they did tests and they found that like 120 degrees or something, it heats the, painful. This, this portion of your skin to 120 degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that's hot, you know, and then you feel like you're on fire and you jump out of the way of the beam. And, you know, here they are, and they're like, yeah, we got a new version of Wi-Fi, and it's, and it's 60 gigahertz. Even, even common Wi-Fi now is 2.4 gigahertz. The, um, the frequency of microwave ovens is uh, not far off. I don't remember exactly. It was 2, 2.1, 2.2, something like that, right around 2 gigahertz, if I'm not mistaken. But the point is that, I mean, at that point, you're, you're talking about microwave energy. There are a lot of studies that show, I mean, cell phones are the same. They're 1.8, 1.9 gigahertz. You know, I, I, I mean... I wrote an article before about, you know, if you, if, you, if you have to carry a cell phone around with you, make sure you know where the antenna is and aim it away from your body if you have to have it on your person, you know. Talk as little as possible with the phone up by your head because when you, when you get a cell phone, one of the specifications that they give is the, the SAR, the specific absorption rate, or um, in France it's, it's the, the DAS, the DAS. Um, and it's basically the, the – it's given in like, you know, watts per kilogram of body weight or whatever. It's basically a measure of how much microwave energy your, your body or specifically your head is absorbing. And I mean, some of these numbers are like freaking scary. And actually, some of the earliest iPhones were among the highest. Uh, the, the SAR ratings, the, the amount of, of RF energy that were being absorbed by your head, the earliest iPhones and actually Blackberries were the absolute worst. So if you have a Blackberry, get rid of it. Yeah, and that was in 2007. Even by then, they they were well aware that there were complications. I mean, there people getting brain reports. tumors, and teenagers for that Teenagers with brain tumors. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's with respect to mobile phones. Yeah. Now, your Wi-Fi may not be actually frying you, but we we don't know what in, what that is doing. It's a constant doing. level of exposure. Yeah, it's but unlike a cell phone, you, constant you low Wi-Fi in your house. You are constantly, and and the same is true of these decked these digital cordless phones, like a normal telephone that you hook up to your landline in yeah. your house, and they're cordless. In like North America, in Europe, as far as I'm aware, pretty much everywhere, they use this system called DECT, D-E-C-T, and it's basically, again, like 2.4 gigahertz, um, kind of the same as Wi-Fi, you know, more or less. Yeah. And it, I mean, these things, even when you're not using the phone, the things are transmitting. When you've got Wi-Fi in your house, you're, you're I mean, why expose yourself to all this microwave energy when, you know, there are so many, you know, all these people have had these, these horrible negative experiences. There have been lots of studies released uh, in, some, in some countries. We had an article on Thought About. There was some, I don't remember what country it was, that they, they banned Wi-Fi in the classroom. And I was like, wow, there's an idea. Yeah, I mean, they should. You know? And then, of course, these, these ultra-thin MacBooks, you know, that have now started to force other companies to, to try to go ultra-thin because somehow this has become very important. And one of the first things they get rid of to make them thin is they get rid of the LAN so that they only have Wi-Fi available. Yeah. And wireless basic, keyboards. <clears throat> yeah. Wireless everything. Keyboards. I mean, what, what what on earth do you need a wireless keyboard or mouse for? You know, you're sitting at a desktop computer, and you need a wireless keyboard and mouse. Well, for what? You know, I mean, you're. It, it's just the. Well, they, they say it's for convenience, but Jesus, what what price? At what price? Exactly, that's the problem, the price. Because How far are you willing to right. take I'm just convenience? Like, <clears throat> that in this case, they, they, they kind of do have this reason for it. Like they say, look, it's kind of really inconvenient to have all these cables. 
And for people who are lazy and, you know, and Scotty gives the example of it's easy to lay cord. Well, yeah, in a certain sense it is, especially if you know what you're doing that. But you talk about a family who wants to get a, a computer for their main room and a computer for their teenage kid. And then all of a sudden that's like, now I got to run cable. You can see how he would be attracted by the offer of Wi-Fi. There are alternatives, though. Yeah, there are. Sure. Like this, um, what's this concept where you plug in an adapter in one room and you can use the house uh, mains power line. Yeah. Yeah, it's basically Ethernet over over uh, over mains over the, your your the little adapter. You plug one into two different power outlets and you essentially run the the signals that travel over an Ethernet cable. You send them through your power lines. Yep. Um, that's very cool. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's uh, not sure if that's better or worse. Because mm. Ethernet cables are are specifically designed in twisted pairs and in terms of interference and emissions and that sort of thing, um, I would probably personally go with just a good old fashioned Ethernet cable. Um, you're not going to totally limit. I mean, you know, if you wanna if you wanna go really hardcore, you can even get uh, uh, filters that filter out you know emissions from from uh, like l- super low frequency emissions from from power outlets and and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um and I think that's probably a good step to take as well. But I mean just I mean from a very basic level it's like it's not just people and and, and part of the reason why maybe you've got a bunch of teenagers and everybody walking around like a bunch of zombies is because there the are there's cell towers like everywhere. There's Wi-Fi everywhere. They've everyone's carrying around a, a, a personal mm-hmm. brain irradiator, you know, in their pocket. Yeah. It's people sleep with their phone on and use it. You know, it's it's like you never you never get out of this like this this electromagnetic smog, and couple mm-hmm. that with diet and like poor diet. Plus the lies. Yeah. yeah. It, something that strikes me now is that we we created this technology-enabled world <clears throat> that sort of mimics the way nature intended things. Mm-hmm. What I'm thinking of here is if you think about the idea that the human being, the body, is a frequency reader and modulator of cosmic energies, that is, it picks up signals from its environment all the time, our very, very DNA actually decodes signals, information mm-hmm. constantly. And we've found ourselves in a world where we believe that such things are only possible with with the help of the device in your pocket receiving the transmission from the radio tower that comes from Big Brother, Central, whatever. It's like this this virtual uh, technology version of reality. It's a virtual reality. And you do see that, you know, the generations that have come and you know, are, are here now are not quite adequate, adequate to the, the generations who came before in a certain sense. And what, what has, what's created today is less than what was created before previously. And it's actually, there has been a consistent degradation of human creativity and output over the years. And it makes you wonder if, if all these devices aren't in a, in a certain sense, kind of like interference for our ability to, to interact with any kind of creative or cosmic forces. I mean, just from like a slightly off off the topic philosophical thing, along with what you're saying. I mean, maybe the, the technology that surrounds us, the, this poor, cheap copy of the way the universe works, actually prevents us from to acquiring any abilities or, or becoming better. Because you know, as technology has improved, quote unquote, it seems that human beings have degraded consistently. 
um, and the creativity, you know, sculpture, art, all this different stuff, you can see that there's, there's been an objective decline in the productive and in, in the creative output. And the early creations of computers, we're talking about how what a genius Steve Wozniak was and the type of things that he was doing at the time. Well, he wasn't surrounded by computers, and you see what comes out today, and it's really kind of this pre-stamped, prefabricated. Angry Birds, Farmville, you know, these the applications. Facebook is is considered to be some great technological innovation. And I mean, it's really fundamentally insulting to like developers to think of Facebook as, as any kind of like it's really like it's like it's like a glorified well, that's a generation that has yet to uh, grow up and uh, be adults. So we, we don't really know now what's gonna happen when you know, when they have to take responsibility uh, in life with jobs and, and so it's still an experiment where we don't know what's going to come out of it. Right. I think, um, but we get some. We're clues. running out of time here. We have run out of time. We've run over time. So, yeah. I think we'll wrap up the show. Um, thank you very much, guys, and thanks to all of our listeners, our callers, and our chat room chatters. So, um, yeah. We're going to be back same time next week. We're going to unplug from the matrix now, but I think the bottom line for us is, of course, technology can be used for good, but we're in a situation where, as part of waking up to reality, we need to network with each other um, in a real way, you know, not rely, not maybe try and detach ourselves a bit from this over-identification with the products. You got to unplug a bit. Yeah, we got to unplug ourselves because it's so distracting. Yeah, and when, it's, when, you, when you can so easily believe a lie about some technical gizmo, I mean, how much easier is it to believe a lie than about, oh, politics, 9-11, climate change, I mean, you know, all this stuff. Is Diet. Just, you know, once, once you start down the path, uh, it's, not start good. down the path of the dark side. Forever will it dominate your destiny. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay, we're going to sign off with a song, I believe. A little bit of humor to lighten it's up a, the day. It's a, it's a little a little dedication to Dennis Ritchie. In loving memory. For all you nerds out there. Thanks, listeners, and see you same time next week. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye.
Right in the 